Welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women really designed to support and resource you towards growth, to understand your unique gifts and your feminine genius, and then how you can activate those gifts in service and contribution. We seek to do this through The Genius Podcast that you're listening to, the Catholic Women's Masterclass, which you can find out more about on our website, as well as our Catholic coaching programs for women. Women. You can also come and join us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily, or visit our website to find out about our initiatives, www.geniusproject.co. Ladies, we have opened the doors for a new cohort of the Catholic Women's Masterclass. This four-month journey of transformation is really around helping you as a woman develop some rhythms of renewal in your life that will see you grow into the fullness of who God's created you to be and to flourish in your life. Sometimes we can get caught up in the busyness and we feel that life is actually happening to us rather than for us. In this masterclass, we really go back to the basics and we look at how we can design a life of intention so that we can flourish and experience the fullness of the life that God intends for us. If you'd like to find out more about the masterclass, you can visit the website www.geniusproject.co. Over the last few months, there's been passion and a fire really burning in my soul around the role that we have as women to take a stand and to have a voice against some of the forces that are at play in our culture. To help me unpack this conversation, I have invited Rachel Allman to join me on this week's episode of The Genius Podcast. Rachel was one of our very first guests on the podcast and she's had quite the journey over the last couple of years, which she'll share about at the beginning of this episode. This is a really important conversation for us as women and I really hope and pray that you are blessed by this conversation with Rachel and I. Well, Rachel, welcome back to the Genius Podcast. I'm so excited about this conversation and so excited to see your beautiful face and and have this talk today. Oh, thanks for having me. I really love the podcast. I love listening to all of your guests and it's an honor to be here. Well, it was so grateful. You were, I think, one of our very first podcast guests many years ago and you have such powerful insights and I just love your approach to this whole area of being a Catholic woman and really discovering not just our gifts but where we're called to stand up and activate those gifts in service and contribution to everybody around us because even if we're staying at home with our children we're still called to this life of contribution and service so um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background because it's been a couple of years since we launched the podcast and I guess your journey, what you're doing now. Would you share a little bit about that with us? I'd love to. Yes. When you first invited me, I was serving as the executive director of the Given Institute, which was a national nonprofit for women's leadership in the United States, where young adult women come together for a forum and then they are paired with a mentor that works with them in a personal relationship but mainly to help the young woman to activate her gifts for the service of the gospel in some shape or form. So that was a wonderful experience where I served as the ED for about three and a half years. And I've just gone through a huge life transition (laughs) where I had not only with given, but I had served the church for about 15 years as a 
professional career in a lot of different aspects, working for different parishes and schools and archdiocesan roles. And I went through a deep dive of discernment. And uh, I would really um, recommend a book that helped me through that process. It was written by David Clayton. Have you ever heard of David Clayton? Okay, so it's called The Vision for You. Thankfully, I have it right here. And so the book is called The Vision for You, How to Discover the Life You Were Made For. Mm, And I had a dear friend who works for Endow, and I'm sure you've heard of Endow before, another women's apostolate. And she recommended this book to me. And David Clayton is a convert to the Catholic faith, and he told his story about really um, turning from atheism to Catholicism all under a mentorship that took place with a man that he respected and spent a lot of time with. And this man didn't really bring God into the conversation for a long, long time. But one thing he challenged David to do was pray the serenity prayer. And so I started praying the serenity prayer. And I'm sure we've all heard it. We've had friends who've gone through AA or different 12 step programs where the serenity prayer is, is a crux of that. And for me, a lifelong Catholic, I turned more towards the rosary, right? Um, Novenas, those types of things in times of transition, despair, uh, when I really needed the Lord. Well, this time it was the serenity prayer that really helped me. And so um, just very simply, right, asking the Lord to give you the courage to change the things that you can and the wisdom to know the difference from the things that you cannot change and to accept those things. And so sharing about praying the serenity prayer daily and what also was very important was I prayed it on my knees. I knelt down physically. And that also was something I hadn't done in a very long time was the posture of being smaller than God, right? That he is the divine authority. He is the author of all things. And it was an incredible experience. And I really believe that that is what helped me to be open to this career change that I have undergone. So I no longer work for the church. Uh, um, I actually work in the political realm and I was hired by three local delegates in the Maryland General Assembly and I serve as their communications director. So a complete 180. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, from working solely for the Catholic Church. And one of my delegates is Catholic himself. The other two are Christians. And um, it has been really exciting for me to take all that I have learned from my church career into the public square. And especially right now in uh, the United States, but really particularly in Maryland, uh, they call Maryland the next California. So in Maryland, we are facing a lot of topics and issues that are um, very antithetical to our Catholic faith. And so I am 
taking the um, Joan of Arc <laughs> warrior mentality Fantastic. into my day-to-day -day job. And what's really wonderful is that I might not have been open to this if it weren't for going through this true examination of what I felt the Lord had given me in terms of my gifts, but also what he was asking of me to do with my gifts. And for so long, I really only believed that I could serve him best served him perfectly by working in the church. <laughs> and now I know, and I'm open to the fact that that's not the case uh, for everyone and that we are called to be light to the world and to do that in some of the darkest places. <laughs> and <Amen>. so, um, <laughs> yes, that's my new role is working in the state house in, uh, in Maryland. Such an interesting jump. And I would actually say not just in the United States, but I think all of these issues are unfolding around the world. And we definitely are experiencing that here in Australia. Um, things that are being legislation being pushed through without people realizing. And I mean, just here right. in my hometown, the government has changed the legislation so that they can publicly acquire our private Catholic hospital. And they've pushed that through and that's happening in seven days with no consultation with the Archbishop of the Church. And wow. it's unbelievable. There's just unprecedented sort of attacks on a Christian faith and, and being Catholic. We're really living in a time in history now, which uh, it's, it's quite amazing to just stand back and say, wow, <laughs> look at what's unfolded. Yes. But I truly believe if we have been born in this moment, it's because like obviously God intends for us to be in this moment. So he will grace yes. us for these moments. And I really believe that all of us as women have a role to play in standing up. And, and, and I feel that there's a move of the Holy Spirit at the moment, just calling on women to arise in their sphere of influence, to be exactly mm -hmm. what you said, that, that witness to light and to be light and love in this culture, in these very, very dark times that we're living through? Well, one of my very favorite heroines is Esther. Yes, <laughs> love Esther. Ever since I was a little girl, I have just looked up to her and I really adore that the Lord um, gave us this story where Esther used her feminine beauty to move mountains, right? She used uh, something that can seem very secular, very physical, right? Um, to uh, really do God's work and to save her people. And that has always been an inspiration to me. But I, I think especially now in this time where it feels like you are literally pushing against these heavy doors that it would be impossible to do without grace, right? And how can a weak woman, right? push through this um, this force that is against us. And uh, she is a role model for me. And I always think about, you know, for such a time as this, that um, you've been designated for this. And I really do believe that this change and this transition in my life was for such a time as this. There was a really, really important um, fight that we underwent in Annapolis, which is the capital of Maryland over school curriculum in in the state where uh, you know well, there's curriculum that is in public schools that is mandated uh, such as ELA and math and you have to pass certain uh, understandings mm -hmm. and levels to move on to the next grade well there are other curriculums that are not assessed 
such as um, financial literacy. It's more like an addendum. It's more like an extracurricular. Well, another one of those is the health curriculum that has always been an addendum, right? It's not the, the meat of what you learn in school, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, that was about to change in Maryland. So a law was trying to be passed this year where the health curriculum, which I'm sure you can assume, teaches a lot of things that are opposed to our Catholic faith. Absolutely. The Maryland legislature was trying to mandate the framework and not just mandated to put it on the same level as ELA and math, but they were adding a financial penalty of removing funding if every single county, every single local district didn't teach it in its entirety. So it was removing all local input, local control. It was removing the rights of parents to have a voice in the curriculum. And that's, that was the intention because there has been, and especially mothers have been leading this cause. (laughs) There has been a big revival going on in the United States where parents are becoming more involved in their children's education. It's not just, I send them off on the bus and I'm happy with what's being done. Really, um, Uh, the time in the pandemic when children were learning at home and parents were overhearing (laughs) what their children were being taught. Oh, not all different (laughs) subject areas. Yeah. And all different subject areas, right. They were realizing, Oh, wow. I need to be more involved. I need to attend school board meetings. I need to talk with my children's teachers more. And so there has been a huge shift in America. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of um, uh, states and legislatures have been trying to suppress the rights of parents. So my point being, it was no accident that I was in this job when this happened. And so my delegates and other delegates and senators fought against this and fought hard and praise God, the bill didn't pass. I mean, it was one where typically the majority the majority wins right but in this case because so many parents came out and spoke against the bill they they were witnesses that came out to testify in good conscience even the majority of the power couldn't pass the bill and so it was a very exciting moment and um, knowing that children were protected and their innocence was protected and that ultimately parents were given the authority to teach their children these sensitive topics at their own discretion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, my background, Jonathan and our core business is in this area of relationship, right. education, sexuality, formation. And so we have a company called Choices Media in Australia, and we're the leading providers of values, faith-based sexuality, relationships, education from kindy up to grade 12. And it's been really interesting to watch things unfold here over the last few years. And I 100% agree with you that during COVID, parents got a front row seat to what was actually being taught or not taught, as I say. And to be honest, there's a lot of people who weren't very happy with what they were seeing. And and we as parents certainly were not happy. Um, But then just the the push to online learning, the push to expand the curriculum beyond what should be taught really in schools to all these other areas. And then the introduction of certain things which are in complete, they're completely contradictory to our Catholic faith and what we want 
right? And how we want our kids to be formed. And the one thing that I did see during COVID is obviously parents were shut outside of the school because of restrictions. But then that also meant they were sort of removed and their rights were removed a little bit further from being the primary educators of their children right area of formation and and when we have three children they're in three different schools here we actually homeschool now our eldest that's been the greatest thing ever for her um but just sometimes I just feel like you're constantly putting out fires with schools with the things that have been done or said I mean it's just unbelievable I had one school say that we weren't allowed to put filtering software on our child's device and we weren't allowed to have our child's password to her computer She's in primary school. So uh, I think what happens to me when I'm in those meetings, it's just this mama bear instinct comes out. I'm like, yes. uh-uh, I'm sorry. This is my child, not your child. And, and what I'd love to do in this episode is to really reawaken in women this mama bear instinct, whether you have your own biological children or not. We need women to start to stand up and to get hungry and to fight these battles because it's a beautiful saying that all we need for evil to flourish is for good men and women to do nothing. And I do believe right. that there is a culture of silence that's that's emerged and people are too scared to have a voice because they're scared of getting cancelled. But if yes. we don't stand up and if we don't fight, then evil wins and, and our children right. especially are becoming the targets of this. And I think this is something that I'd love to sort of explore a little bit with you now. But before we jump into that, Can you unpack for us? I guess you and I both have such a passion for the feminine genius and the value Mm -hmm. and dignity of women. I guess we have to understand we can't give what we don't possess and and we can't be called upon to make a difference if we don't know what our gifts are and the ways in which we're called to actually stand up and fight some of these culture battles. So can you help us unpack, I guess, a little bit about this receptivity of womanhood, the role that women actually play and, and where that comes from? Hmm. I'd love to. I was praying about this and uh, reviewing again the four aspects of the feminine genius that Pope John Paul II, Saint Pope John Paul II reflected on. And uh, maternity is the aspect that uh, truly, I think every woman um, very naturally is inclined towards, and it's that mama bear instinct, like you shared. But uh, in my own life, I think the other three aspects of the feminine genius are things that I've had to grow in over my lifetime the sensitivity, the receptivity, and the generosity. And because, um, of course, uh, we all are prone to be selfish, right? And not generous. Um, and I think our society uh, tries to toughen up women so that we aren't sensitive and we don't use that beautiful gift that God has given us naturally. And then the same with receptivity. We don't receive the other person. We become siloed. That that has been a very negative um, aftermath of the radical feminist movement is that we are in opposition to men rather than receiving the gifts that they can give us. And then in turn, give our own gifts equally, right? That is what the true feminist movement should be. And we are seeing the fallout of that uh, very, very keenly here in America where women's sports are no no longer protected anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm very happy that just um, this past week, 
a swimmer from Penn State University uh, had the courage to speak up, to share about how difficult it was for her to swim against a biological man uh, who was on her team. And it's going to take women like that sweet young girl. I mean, watching her video, sharing her story. She's so young. I still think I'm kind of young. But then I look at her, I think she is so young. She is so brave that she is speaking out. And she's doing that for all the other women in the world who need a voice like hers that can pierce through the darkness. And so um, I really think we all need to remember that our femininity is a gift <laughs> and that it is something to be used for the betterment of others. And when we do that, we become more satisfied. Yeah. And, and that is something that I know I have grown into in my um, maturing of my own femininity and my womanhood and um, knowing that really becoming in tune to who God designed me to be uh, not only makes me happier, but I'm, I'm actually more successful, you know, even, even in a secular idea of success, when you are who you were meant to be, you flourish, yeah. <laughs> you thrive. It's a world on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's attractive to other people. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to read a quote, Karen, from yeah, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And he had a lot of great homilies um, and uh, talks about the genius of women. And mm -hmm. one of them that I recommend to everyone to look up on YouTube, <laughs> you just type in Fulton Sheen, Women Who Do Not Fail. Mm. That's the title of the I haven't seen talk. that one. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, it's one of his black and white television episodes. <laughs> and he's he was ahead of his time. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. But he writes on a chalkboard in the background. It's so adorable. So great. And uh, he, he depicts the story of the resurrection. The greatest moment in human history when God conquered death, right? And who were the ones that came to the empty tomb first? It was women, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And that's what he remarks upon is they were the women who did not fail, right? Yeah. They answered the biggest test of all and they, they answered it correctly. They went to look for the resurrected Lord. And of course, we know that Jesus first revealed his resurrection to Mary Magdalene. And so I highly recommend you watch that video. But the quote that I've always loved from Fulton Sheen, he said, to a great extent, the level of any civilization is the level of its womanhood. Wow. And I've prayed on that quote many times. And I know just in my own family as the mother and nurturer and protector of my own children and guardian of my, my husband, all these things, it's up to me. You know, the, a lot of that um, is the level of my womanhood, right? Am I fully embracing my feminine genius? Am I living 
who God has called me to be, because that will lead my family to also do that. That will lead others around me in my parish and my community. And it's a, a great call to action <laughs> when Fulton Sheen says that, that my individual choices of being the woman God called me to be impacts civilization. Yeah. It impacts so much more than just me. Amen. So true. And as you just said that, I just wrote that down just so I wouldn't forget. But the other line that I am reminded of as you speak is Mulieris Dignitatum. That opening paragraph that John Paul II begins Mulieris Dignitatum with is the hour is coming, in fact, it has come when the power yes. of women is being acknowledged in its fullness. This is a power never to have <laughs> achieved before, but he makes the point that it is women who are filled with the spirit of the gospel will do so much to aid humanity in not falling. And I think there is a call like on us at the moment I really sense this in prayer I, I sense it in my conversations with people but there is a mandate on us as women to start to step up and to step out but we can't do that unless we understand our gifts the gifts that God has given to us and also being filled with that spirit of the gospel because mm -hmm. there's no point running into just battles endlessly for the sake of it you know or power to the women unless we're bringing a different spirit to that situation because we don't just want to have the battle we want to transform that situation and, and that the transformation happens through the grace of God and that happens when we have opened ourselves to be full of his grace to be bearers of his image I think it's so important right. to remember that and that, so the invitation for women I think listening is really to cultivate that soil in their own soul where Jesus can just abide and where he's present so that then you take him into every interaction and everything that you do. Mm, that's so true. And I, I have been thinking more about my spiritual motherhood as well. Mm. And uh, not just my physical motherhood of my three children, but my spiritual motherhood of so many. And I uh, want to honor all of the men and women that God has entrusted to me, right? That's that's the gift of our femininity as we notice the other, <laughs> right? We feel the pain that others are feeling. We notice when they are uh, left out. We notice when they're struggling. And that has been something too in this time of transition in my life where I truly have uh, a more flexible schedule. I am more available. I am not just more available to my three children and my husband. I am more available to the community at large. And it, this is a cute and a silly example, but I'm volunteering next week at Vacation Bible School. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> I haven't done that in years, <laughs> right? But I, I just really uh, felt, no one asked me to, I just felt convicted thinking, why aren't I doing this? I have the time. I'm dropping my children off to go. I should be supporting the event. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being a witness to hundreds of other children in my parish and hopefully their mothers and fathers as well. And I just have been trying to ask the Lord to make those um, moments more noticeable to me, right? Mm -hmm. That I listen to those 
promptings of the Holy Spirit of this is someone or something that has been entrusted to you. I want you to do something about it. Do something, Rachel. (laughs) And I want to respond with the yes, you know, receive that call, be receptive to it and do something. Yes. When we look at Mary's yes, and I, I think that's the invitation there is to say yes to those inspirations of the spirit. But to do that, we have to have cultivated this life of prayer and being attuned to the presence of God in our everyday life and situations. Oh, yes, it's true. I, I also have been, um, I, I've, my whole life, I have been, I love the Blessed Mother. I love praying the rosary. I love reflecting on her life. And I, I see Mary as pretty spunky. <laughs> I, um, I don't envision the Blessed Mother as the quiet woman in the corner. I have always envisioned the Blessed Mother as a great leader and as one who led the disciples and led uh, Jesus's followers. And the story of the wedding at Cana is one of my very favorites because she told Jesus what to do. (laughs) She was an assertive woman. She told God what to do. And um, that helps embolden me. It helps um, guide me and my spirituality in my relationship with the Lord of being um, open to the assertiveness that God has given me. And I think that is something that women also can and should be able to um, ask the Lord to give them more fire, more courage, right? Yes. More um, ability to speak the truth when the time is needed. And that's exactly what Mary did. You know, Jesus said, this isn't my time. And oh, yes, it is, you know, and she was so confident in that instruction. And that's something that I, I really love reflecting on the Blessed Mother and those mm. times of her um, confident assuredness of what to do next. Mm, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And, and my devotion there, that Marian devotion has grown in my life and so many graces from that have come. You pick up on something earlier just about Jesus revealing the resurrection was revealed to women. But throughout mm-hmm. the Gospels and throughout his entire ministry, and John Paul II makes this point in his work on womanhood, is that Jesus actually chose women. It was deeply intentional that he chose women to reveal certain spiritual truths too because they had this resonance of heart, this receptivity of spirit to the things of God. Not that men don't, but there's a unique way in which women receive those truths and those revelations from Christ. And I think I'd like to take that into this conversation now and I guess looking at where we're at as a culture and and what women can practically do because my experience in Australia is that if you speak up or if you stick your head out, you're silenced or you're boxed. Mm. And I think the time has come where it's time to end trying to be politically correct and trying to end dancing around these things. We actually need women to start standing up and to speaking out. I know there's some amazing mothers who they've noticed things in schools and they've been banging on the door of our education offices relentlessly, sometimes to no avail, sometimes to be put down, which is disgraceful because our educators Mm -hmm. actually are called to steward the education in Catholic schools. But I think women and mothers particularly play a crucial role. And so I'm interested, Rachel, 
just your your thoughts on how women can be more involved, how they can actually do something because the reality is I know a lot of women who are trying to write letters to schools or to education boards or to politicians and they're like, well, what's the point? Nothing's ever going to change. And it's tiresome. Mm. It's exhausting. It takes a lot of time to craft these letters and only to be met with resistance. But that's not a sign of that we shouldn't do this. Have, have you got some right. thoughts practically about what women can do? Because I think the time is coming. In fact, I think it's right now where women need to find their voice where they need to start mm-hmm. standing up against some of these forces that are at play in culture. And they're not going away. They're not going right. to settle down because we don't say anything. They're accelerating at an unprecedented rate. And we need to, to be protective of our kids and, and culture. Yes. So how can women practically, I guess, do certain things around this area? Well, Karen, this certainly hits close to home because it's exactly what my husband and I had gone through in the past um, four months. So we were the ones knocking on the doors and writing the letters. We had our own unfortunate situation at our Catholic parochial school with our children, where an aftermath of the pandemic was a digital library that was downloaded on all of the students' um, devices in the school with no filters, no supervision, no um, really no understanding or or foresight by the leaders to realize that a secular product would have titles that are antithetical to our faith and would expose innocent children to topics and issues that we do not want them to have that exposure at such a young age, but also not without the consultation of their parents or the knowledge Mm -hmm. of their parents. So what I would want to say to all of these mothers is that your voice matters and you may not get um, gratification instantly, but it will come. And there are many parents who reached out to me after um, we spoke out and all that took place. There were some local media outlets um, in the United States that covered the story and parents who were so grateful that someone spoke up because they had no idea that this product existed and they had no idea that their children had access to it. And so while unfortunately um, our daughter was a victim to the negligence of the school to have this at her fingertips, thankfully our work has stopped it from being accessible to other children. And there are other dioceses and other schools across the country that are investigating this and hopefully the same will happen there. Well, they will just eliminate the product. Um, There were parents who reached out to us um, in our own community saying, thank you for standing strong. Thank you for um, holding tight, sticking your feet in the mud. Uh, Because we could have given in, you know, we could have just said, oh, well, it was an accident. Um, All right. Well, but no, we knew that this had been going on for years, unfortunately. And it really was my mama bear conscience Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that woman's intuition that when my daughter, we were sitting at the dinner table 
she said, I was reading on Epic today. And then it, I almost felt like I was going to vomit. That's how I felt when I just sat there and I realized that my eight-year-old was on a library device that I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what was on it and what's going on in our culture right now. Of course I knew what was on it. <laughs> of course I did. And so that very night I, I said, Tony, we have to investigate this. We have to know what, what it is. And sure enough, it's what my dreaded conscience, that moment where my gut just felt ill and I was right. And um, so I just want to share with other mothers that to know, know yourself, know your family, know your children and do something when you're kicked into high gear and you might not get um, support quickly. <laughs> you might mm -hmm. not get the response that you want, but being that brave voice is important. And there are other people that just don't have as much courage as you do, but they need you to be the one to say it. They need Absolutely. you to be the one to step up. And that's what a lot of parents did say to me. They said, um, you know, we, we couldn't have done this, but, and we needed you to be the one to do it. Amen. Amen. It's so true because I think everyone is feeling certain things but they need a warrior. They need someone to give them the permission as well and then to empower them. The other thing I'd say is that to parents is just find out what is being taught in the classroom. Don't be afraid to ask. I mean, right. I, in the work that Jonathan and I do, we know of many schools in here in Australia that flat out refuse to release the book list to families. And so that is a great big red flag and, and that's just completely right. unacceptable um, to ask questions. Um, ask about what's yes. happening like one of our children I mean I deliver puberty education notes so I go from genius project talking to women to talking to kids <laughs> about puberty my daughter said to me the other she goes oh my gosh mom can't you get a less embarrassing job <laughs> <laughs> but it's um but I mean this is sort of our bread and butter really genius project is my ministry right. but when I'm my daughter so my child was going through puberty education in primary school and I started to ask questions and the school was completely closed. They, I said, could we have a look? No, we won't show parents. And I found out through her portal that it's a government resource, which has a number of things that I'm not okay with, but it's also the right. way in which human sexuality is taught. It's frivolous and it's lighthearted and it's made fun of and it's a joke. And it's there's just this irreverence to the changes that girls are going through with boys in the class and the mm. way that it's spoken about and I have a really big problem with that and so I sort of went to war with this school just sort mm -hmm. of kept pushing and and someone said why do you bother and I said well because it's actually not okay like they're meant to be writing to parents to say this is coming up this is what right covered. when I challenged them on that they said oh no we don't have to let parents know and I said well it, Actually, you do. Yes, <laughs> and, they and do. It's really mm -hmm. important. And I thought you're picking up, you know, you've met the wrong family here because this is our yeah. brand. Butter. We're the experts <laughs> in this area. But I, I just, people need to know, parents need to know that they have a right to ask questions. They have a right to withdraw their yes. children. They have a right to see what is being taught um, and not to be afraid and to hold schools and educators accountable. Um, I think Absolutely. there's this move to withdraw and to really fracture that relationship and, and to destabilize the role of the family, destabilize the role of parents as first educators of their children. And I think there's a passion in me that's growing. It's always been there and, and we do this in our work, but to really start to encourage women to step up, to stand out 
and and to start to I guess make a difference in this area because amen we'll Mm -hmm. continue if we stay silent I agree and it's the very simple task of asking the question that's that's not an aggressive move Mm -hmm. and that is what is disappointing is that suddenly the walls go up when the parents start asking questions and just like you said that's a red flag you suddenly know that you're not a partner in your child's education anymore you're being treated like an enemy and that is what happened to us we asked for access to the book list we were told they couldn't find the password (laughs) um which we knew was untrue i had evidence i had screenshots i knew that that was not true and um, and so our trust was completely broken. It wasn't just the um, Catholic understanding of children being entrusted to their parents, and we are the primary educators of our children. It was, we, we've got some legal issues going on here that suddenly we are not being shown what our children had access to in the school. And it, it, the amazing thing about the specific product that we had a problem with is that it seems pretty intentional how it was designed to weed out parents. So this app is available for free to schools, but not to parents. Parents would have to pay a fee to subscribe to the app. But if you have a school email account, you can get it for free. But also, even if the school does share access to the parents, it's only open between school hours, which is from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And suddenly access is, is shut off. Access is not available on the weekends. And you think we are now in a society, at least in America, where pretty much every family has to have a dual income to survive. <laughs> and so most parents are working during the school day. They are not able to sit and research this app and see what their children have access to and see what they are reading. And so for multiple reasons, uh, parents need to be asking questions and even questions you'd never think you would need to ask. You would never think that you have to dig that deep to realize what's being, um, what's happening in in schools. And we not only um, need to know this uh, for our own sake to make sure that we're protecting our children to be good parents, but we have to do this for the sake of other families as well. <laughs> That's where that spiritual maternity and spiritual paternity kicks in. This is yes. important for all children and it it's important for the next generation so that we are laying the foundation that there is an open line of communication. That's truly what should be happening in schools. I mean, we all know that we, we feel so good when the school nurse calls us to tell us that, uh, you know, Johnny scraped his knee. You feel so good about that, right? Like, oh, oh, <laughs> such a minor thing, right? But they are looking out for my child. And that should be the case in any element of what's happening during the care of your child is that Absolutely. there should be that open line of communication. Yeah. So look, Rachel, bringing it back, like that's what's happening in schools. But I also think in some places we've abdicated or some parents have abdicated the role in the home to tech as well. And so we're talking about 
protecting our kids in the school, but also we need to be a little bit more vigilant about what's happening in the home. We need to be really good stewards over the influences, mm. the forces um, that our kids are accessing through recreation or whatever it is, social media. Technology has fundamentally shifted the landscape for parents when it comes to parenting children. And so right. I think we just need to be vigilant on that front as well. Um, and really being very intentional about forming our children. And I think the more that time that you have with your kids, the more that you can have these conversations and just weave them into different moments, um, it's just so important. And creating an atmosphere and a culture between you and your child where you can say nothing is too embarrassing, nothing is off limits, even if you've mm. done the wrong thing, like we, we want to know about it. And it's it's creating this open conversation and culture as well at mm. home. What are some of the things that you do with your kids to, I guess, steward uh, your home, but also to cultivate those conversations? Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because I do think that is the hardest struggle of parenting in 2023. Absolutely. And I'm sure that... <laughs> You go to a restaurant and you're shocked to see that it's not just teenagers on their cell phones, which I think is how I felt five to 10 years ago. Now it's toddlers that are sitting with a iPad um, at the dinner table at a restaurant and you can't even get through a meal without being a slave to a device. And uh, that is a constant struggle in my husband and my decision making of how to balance our day. And right now it's summer break here in America. So that is what so many families are facing right now is how do we get through our summer day without having the TV on <laughs> yeah. all day or having them watch YouTube videos, et cetera. So I, um, I've recently been uh, just inspired by the stories and the lives of the saints. And you think about how abandoned they were to the Lord, right? And uh, he reigned first in their hearts. And I've just been um, feeling called to ask for the intercession of blessed Pierre Giorgio Frazzati, who is uh, an amazing patron for the youth and young people. And uh, one that I think every parent should ask for his intercession. But I wanted to bring him up because I came to Australia in 2008 for World Youth Day. I was leading a pilgrimage and I actually saw his body at World Youth Day. They physically uh, brought him in a casket uh, to be venerated at that incredible event. And I remember... Uh, going to this prayer service at the cathedral where first you sat and all of the pilgrims listened to some speakers reading some of his letters to his loved ones, which was a very moving experience. You know, a young man, he died at age 24, who had given his entire life to the Lord, serving the poor, but he lived his life fully. You know, mm. his uh, motto was verso alto, to the heights. So he was a rock climber. He was a hiker. He um, smoked cigars. You know, he was a, a manly man, right? He did it all and very engaged um, in his in, in life and all the good things that the Lord has for us. And so I'm sitting there in the cathedral hearing these beautiful letters and uh, just you know, his life came alive when you hear these things. And then you could walk up and kneel down and venerate his body. 
And I have a picture of when I was there that moment. Oh, and I actually, I have kept this on my desk ever since then, since 2008, because I was so moved by the very simple wooden casket, right? Nothing fancy, nothing gaudy, but especially behind it, there's a mosaic where Jesus is conquering death. It's, it's the moment of the second coming when, um, uh, you know, the dead rise again, right? The tombs are broken. And you, you see in this mosaic, Christ is stomping a grave. <laughs> He's breaking the chains of death. And I remember being so moved by that moment, kneeling before the saint's body, the blessed's body, and looking at this image and just knowing that there's there's an eternal life. There is more than this life. There is more than these earthly pleasures, right? That's the goal. That is the moment when our body and our soul will reunite in, in heaven. And I got to make it. I have to live my life to make it. And so I was single. I was a young adult at the time when I had that beautiful experience. And now as a mother and parenting three children in the modern age, uh, I have to continue to tell my children about these incredible people's lives, the lives of the saints, because it helps us move outside of ourselves, our own little village, <laughs> our yeah. own day-to-day -day life, where it's the simple choice of what do I watch on Netflix tonight, <laughs> right? When you hear these stories of the saints, it's so inspiring for you to step outside of yourself and hopefully live your life for Christ. And so that's something that just a simple thing I'd love to share with parents. There's a great podcast called Catholic Sprouts. Okay. And it is a beautiful, very short five to 10 minutes a day that tells a story of a saint for children. And mm -hmm. I really recommend it. So I think that's a healthy use of technology. Yes. yes. <laughs> and we don't want to be go too far the other way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, we we just got an Alexa um, this past Christmas. And so really all we use Alexa for is listening to podcasts. Um, and then every once in a while, a couple fun songs that so will dance around the kitchen. Uh, and I that has been very helpful for our children to listen to that podcast and be inspired Fantastic. by the lives of the saints. Catholic Sprouts, is that what mm -hmm. it is? Okay, we'll put Catholic that in the Sprouts. show notes as well. <laughs> Oh gosh, Rachel, it's amazing, isn't it? Like just sometimes we can get so busy in the everyday and forget just what we're actually called to steward. I find that in my life, you know, as a mum, I have a 16, 14, 12-year-old child and they're reaching those teen years where I feel like I actually need to be far more present now than when they were little. Um, but life is busy and it's full. Right. And so how can we as women, as mothers, get that balance so that we're really honouring our vocation and, and stewarding the lives of our children well? Mm. Well, so you have to know what makes your family tick. Mm. You know, for us, we love to play games together. And that is a very bonding experience. It's also how in my husband and I, in our dating relationship, we would go to trivia once a week. That was 
it was so much fun, you know, yeah. built the, the competition aspect <laughs> in us and we got to know each other really well. We, uh, especially with the trivia game, right? You're learning about different topics. You find out who that person is, what they're interested in. And so that is something that has been really healthy for our family. We not only have games on a bookshelf by our kitchen table, I have an entire closet filled with games. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's something that we've chosen to share with other families too. So um, especially in the winter months uh, when there's not much to do outside, we invite families over for game nights and it can be chaotic and a, a little discombobulated, but <laughs> it has been, I think, a very um, healthy and just wholesome um, evening for families, because uh, I, I have noticed parenting young children, a lot of times when families get together in homes, the parents will say, all right, the kids are watching a movie in that room. So we as the adults can talk in this room. And that can be great every once in a while. But I have found bringing the families together, parents and the kids all doing an activity together are the most fun nights that we have. <laughs> yeah, lovely. They really are. And you'll see a beautiful interaction of the men and women and a beautiful way for the kids to look up and see healthy um, relationships, healthy understandings of one another. And it's something that I, I certainly recommend. Another thing that we do is a family Olympics. So that is something that once a year that a group of friends, we come together and we host family style Olympics and the kids are involved, you know, the, there's a fun one, a fun game, like where you're passing water buckets down and who can pour the water over their head and catch water behind them and then make oh, it a relay fun. race. And <laughs> those are the greatest memories that our kids have. They constantly talk about those events that we have together. And you know what? Those things are free right? They don't cost any money. <laughs> we, God, at the moment. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to fill your life with trips to Disney World. You don't have to fill your life with uh, the glamorous things that social media does make mothers feel that they have to do for their children. Certainly, we are all living in a comparison age where we think that there's a certain way for kids to have a great childhood. And th that's not the case. You want to be able to be present to your kids. And those are the things that have worked for us are playing yeah. games and having cool. in community as well, not just our individual yeah. family. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on the Genius Podcast. You're just such a kindred spirit and I've loved our friendship over the last four years and look forward to hopefully getting back over to the United States soon. I hope so too. And I want to just say a blessing to all the women in this community to continue to um, have the Lord inspire you in your feminine genius because it is a gift and it's something that the world needs right now. Amen. Well, ladies, I hope and pray that that conversation was a real blessing to you and that it ignited within you, I guess, some thinking around the areas in which you are called to speak up and to take a stand against some of the cultural forces that are at play in our life, in our culture and in the lives of your children. Never forget that you are the primary educator of your child and you are the best possible person to lead your child through their critical years of development. If you would like to be supported with some resources and some information on 
how you can navigate this, please send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. Or if you're interested in resources to help you speak to your children about these critical topics of development, you can visit our website, www.choices.com.au. And choices is spelled C-H-O-I-C-E-Z. We have some incredible resources for schools and for parents to really equip you and to help you teach the topics that matter most. Until next week, have a beautiful week and God bless you.